so good to see you all, and I've heard so much about you guys, and um, yeah, that was an awesome time of worship, by the way. We could have just hung out there for a while, no? Like, really, really, really. Um, we're going to have a good day. I'm confident. Um, I'm feeling like this morning um, that the Holy Spirit wants to crack our chest open and then go in there and play around a bit. Is that all right? Okay with that? And um, because so much of our leadership is tied into what validates us. And uh, sometimes those are good things, sometimes they're not good things. And want to talk about identity a little bit because our identity is so wrapped up in so many other things in our life. It is my life message, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes as we kind of go through this. But you're going to need your B-I-B-L-E because that's the book for me. And uh, so your phone or your pad, iPad there, or whatever it is that you got, your device, your Bible, whatever it is, we're going to need that in a few minutes, okay? Um, once upon a time, there was a young lady, and she was responsible for coming early to church and she would show up, and on the platform, she would take care of anything. She would wind up wires, making sure everything was okay there. And then, um, and then the worship team would do their thing, and then she would come up after, and she would wind up all the cords and make sure everything's cleaned up, all the garbage, papers. So, you know, back then, back in the 1900s, it wasn't digital. It was, it was just paper. And so, you know, she would take her, all the songs, and she would put them all back, and so on and so forth. And um, she had, did have a capacity to sing, and she wanted to sing. And so eventually, she would go to training sessions. She would get singing lessons. And eventually, she actually got onto the team. And there were two or three or four teams there, and so she was a background singer, but very kind of behind the scenes, if you will, and still doing what she was doing with everything in the platform and whatnot. And then she kind of got a little better, and so they kind of, you know, the team kind of encouraged her a little bit. She was a little shy and whatnot. She was also a songwriter, and uh, she wrote this little song called Shout to the Lord. <clears throat> and uh, her name is Darlene Check. That song exploded. Exploded. She had no leadership position. She had nothing to prove. She was just serving. And I think one of the reasons that song imploded, uh, ex- exploded was because, I mean, obviously the Lord was on it, but because it's such a God-centric song. And I think most of the, the best songs written, if I could say best songs, are like these character of God, God-centric, out there kind of songs. They're just very, very powerful. Once upon a time, there was a young man, and he worked in a studio in England. And he was, uh, he was kind of like the gopher. He would, you know, go get coffee, and he would make this, make that. He would clean up the studio a little bit. He'd hang out. He would write a few songs or whatnot. He had written enough songs where he had kind of maybe like 23, 24 songs, enough for two CDs. Remember CDs? <laughs> and so he put these songs together, actually, on cassette tape. Remember cassette tape? Do you remember what they're played on? <laughs> so he, he handed them to the owner of the studio, 
of the production studio. He said, listen, you know, do you think you could, you could hear these and see what you think, you know? And he said, sure, I could do that. So he listened to them, gave them back to this young man. He said, stick to what you're doing, buddy. Stick to what you're doing. And the young man called these two cassettes the edge. He went to a friend of his by the name of Kevin Prosh. And Kevin Prosh gave him a prophetic word. Kevin Prosh is a very prolific worship leader back in the day. And said to him, listen, you need to keep these. You need to rename them the cutting edge. And you also need to open up your own studio. And he did open up a studio called Curious Records. And the name of that guy is Martin Smith. And the name of the band is Delirious. Which to me is the all-time best Christian musician. But I golfed with Delirious. They're crazy. They golfed in spandex, purple spandex. I had to convince the, the, the superintendent of the course to let them golf there. Because they were these musicians from England, and you know, and they had their own, they brought their own clubs. They were sponsored by Callaway. It was absolutely unbelievable. Great guys, but here's the thing: he didn't have a position necessarily. He wasn't leading a single thing. He had something else, and she had something else in spades. Can anybody tell me what that might be? If you don't know the answer, just say Jesus, and you're probably right, okay? <laughs> what, what do you think? What, do you, what is it that they had? No. Eh? <laughs> hey? Hard to serve? Anything else? We're going <clears throat> to see this three-minute video clip, okay? And then we're going we're gonna to lock and load here. All right. If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> now, <laughs> to be fair, they might have been on something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Could have been, could have not been. Tell me about the first guy. Tell me about the first guy. Hey, fearless, crazy. Willingness to serve. Passionate. What else? Crazy. Anybody else? Abandoned. Freedom, confident. Yeah, weird, but what? Yeah. Just having fun. He was pretty comfortable with himself, right? He was pretty comfortable with it. He got a little awkward. It was almost awkward to watch, but you couldn't look away. But when you watched enough, it was like, yes, I'm going to go over there. And that's what was happening. So leadership, and this may be a paradigm shift, part of today for me in praying through this, and this is not me baiting you or anything like that, or some kind of anticipatory, you know, um, uh, 
conclusion I want to bring you to, but I've been praying for a game changer for today for us. A game changer in how we see ourselves, how we see leadership, how we see influence, how we see servanthood, how we see making a difference, how we see people and not just projects, which is one of the mantras in our church, people over projects, t-shirts, all that, swag, it's all good to have. All of that kind of stuff. Because in the end, in the end, it really is about influence. You don't have to have a position to lead. We know this, okay? Position is not authority. We're going to talk about that. It's your disposition that gives you your authority. The first thing that walks into the room before you do is not your personality. It's your personhood. But because we live in a culture that is obsessed with personality to get validation, we put a big premium on personality. Personality is simply the delivery system for your personhood. That's why you can actually change your personality. If you're shy, shyness, by the way, is only a form of pride. Shyness is all about me looking at me and what people think about me in the moment. And, you know, uh, it's, it's nobody, you know, self-pity. Nobody's coming to that party, trust me. Nobody's coming to that. Okay? So you can actually change your personality because it's not your identity. Very, very important. If you're outgoing and you, you know, you're the one that has a spotlight, you can actually change that in a way that you could cause other people to shine. And, and, and it comes in self-awareness. And self-awareness is a big one for leaders, you guys. Very, very big. So if we can get up there, the notes, we're going to start on our identity in Christ. And um, let me ask you this question. What came first, lordship or sonship? What do you think? Okay, first, lordship or sonship? Lordship, sonship, sonship. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, Jesus. Let's take, let's take, let's take quickly the elder brother and the prodigal son. The elder brother really understood what? He understood lordship. He followed all the rules. Because for some of us, when we think of the word lordship, we think of following all the rules, ticking, up, ticking off all the boxes. The prodigal understood sonship. He felt free enough to ask his father for inheritance. And he went out and did what he wanted to do. Okay? The, the, the prodigal did not understand lordship. Or he never probably would have done what he had done. The elder brother never stood, understood sonship. Or he would not have misunderstood his father. He would have welcomed what was going on with his brother. When we hear lordship in this generation, let's call your generation, even my generation, lordship back in the 70s was very, very heavy-handed. Sonship was kind of wishy-washy, almost weak. And when I got saved, 
I was under a leader who was a general, and I understood what it was to be in the army of God, but I never understood what it was to be in the arms of God. And I grew up with a father who was an Italian immigrant. I grew up in crazy town, man, crazy town. And my father was the mayor of that town, trust me. <laughs> he was an alcoholic, he, he, he was a rager, he wasn't a nice drunk. And every weekend he would talk about leaving, going back to Italy. Was a, I was a very, very small guy back then. I would sit beside him, make sure that he wasn't going anywhere because I thought actually he was going to pack a suitcase and leave right there. And so as I was growing up in my relationships, I kind of approached people this way. I'm going to abandon you before you abandon me. I'm getting out of this before you could get out of it. So I'm going to let you get close, close enough where I could get what I need from you, but then I'm out of here. And I brought it into my marriage for the first five years. And my wife, I would always take off something. It would start to heat up. I, I, I'm like, where's the door? Where's the door? Where's the door? Where's the door? And out the door. And one day, one day, she blocked the door. And I said to her, honey, you got to get out of the way. And I had a raging temper, raging temper back then. <clears throat> like Cameron. <laughs> but she blocked, and something broke at that moment, and I fell apart, and I understood grace. 1996 came along. I went down to Pensacola. The Holy Spirit wrecked me down there. It was a work of complete grace that brought me back. This is when I began to understand our identity in Christ. Now, you can emphasize identity or you can emphasize in Christ. My purpose this morning is to emphasize in Christ. I'm going to spend the next few moments reminding you of who you are. And sometimes it's a lot harder to undo stuff than to do stuff. In church culture, if you want to plant a church, it's much easier to plant a church, believe it or not, than to go into an established church. Because it takes about three to five years to undo a culture, another three to five years to do your culture, to introduce your culture, and then another three to five years to execute and see the fruit of that culture. And that's exactly what we experienced in uh, Planning Freedom Center. It took us about 15 years. The first five years, I didn't want people attending my church. It was just the weirdest, most toxic environment. People would ask me, do you know a good church? I'm going, I don't know a good church. And I'm the pastor of the church. <laughs> and I'm lying to them. Go, I don't know a good church, man. Down the street, I don't know. It ain't Freedom Center. There's no freedom there. <laughs> you know? Because we're still immature and, you know, vying for stuff. There's just so much stuff in there, orphan issues and all that kind of stuff. And then I began to understand biblically how it is that we can actually be in Christ. Paul uses those words a lot in his letters, to be in Christ or to be of Christ. And the protocol kind of starts like this, alignment, activation, and authority. Alignment, who you are, activation, what you do, authority, how you do it. it we need to be aligned in our hearts. So when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and what did he hear? This is my... When's the last time you heard that? When was the last time you heard that the Father adored you? When was the last time that the Father was 
fawning over you, was making much of you. It's great. He loves it when we make much of him. But you know that he's making much of you. It was complete alignment. He had not raised anybody from the dead. He hadn't done one miracle. He didn't turn water into wine. I mean, none of that stuff. There was nothing that he had done. And his father immediately announced to the world, this is my beloved son. Look at him. Look at my little boy. In whom I am well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the same thing happened, the father added one more phrase. Do you remember what it was? And listen to him. That's the authority part. And listen to him. How many people want to be listened? I just want to be listened to. I just want to be understood. I just want to be understood. I just want to be listened to. I just want to be understood. Alignment, activation, and authority. There are people that want to be activated before they're aligned. What's going to happen? They're going to make a great mess. We've been victims of some of that stuff, haven't we? We just, we just have, man. Just people, just, they got the spirit of stupid on them. And they just, they just make a mess of things. Because they think that their gifting, their skill, their talent is supposed to lead. And the world is very much like this. There are people making millions of dollars for doing things that people watch to do. And they don't know how to handle the fame. And that's a big question. How do you handle the notoriety? How do you handle the fame? How do you handle that if you're good at what you do and people know it and see it? And I've been doing what I'm doing for like 33 years now. And I met a lot of people and all the kind of big names. And, and I asked them questions and, and all kinds of stuff. It's just fantastic. And inevitably, inevitably, most of the people that are influencers in this world never wanted to be in the first place. Now, there are those that want to, but most of them didn't want to because they weren't sure they could handle the attention. And that's why it's so important to be aligned. And I talked about authority, how you do it, how you come across. It's very, very important to understand because you have a sign that says manager on your door does not mean that you have authority. Again, authority isn't position. It's disposition. It's who you are in Christ. And it's incredible if we could begin to imagine that for a moment. The word valid there is to recognize or affirm the validity or worth. If, if you look at the bottom there, it says a, legal or, a legally or officially acceptable. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a, in a few minutes as we get into the scriptures as well. By the way, if you have any questions or comments or something, feel free to put your hand up, okay? So well, this is like a two-way. I don't want to just uh, be the only guy talking here. I have no problem with that at all, okay? If you think it's a stupid comment, I'll just tell you. But you can't tell me. <laughs> Come on. That's stupid. All right. Invalid. Being without foundation or force in fact, truth, or law. Logically inconsequential. Ah, uh, terrible. Terrible. And the enemy is relentless at trying to convince you that you are illegitimate. And that you are invalid. I don't mean just what you do. I mean you as a person. Every single day. Relentless. Trying to convince you that somehow you don't fit. How many like puzzles? Can't stand them. They're frustrating for me. 
I don't even like board games. I know, that's terrible. I know. We didn't do good with board games growing up. I, I remember Monopoly boards flying across the room with houses and hotels. Stepping on them three days later, those stupid plastic hotels. Remember trying to get puzzle pieces to fit, and you think it's going to fit in that little piece, and it doesn't. It's just like a half a degree off. What does one do? Well, I just happen to see this right here. You take one of these, and you start you know, putting it in there. You start seeing. And sometimes that's what our life is like. We're trying to fit in a place that we don't actually fit. We try to gerrymander our way in there, and that is a very tiring way to live. How does one come home? How does one come home to a place that's safe? How does one come home to a place that makes sense? We're going to talk about that. Ways that we are validated. Culture, ethnicity, skin color. That's a big one. There are some of us, man, we think our ethnicity, our, our, our skin color, our, our, our culture is everything. You see that around the World Cup? You see that in sporting events? You see that the way the states, you got the north, the south, you got the west coasters, east coasters, you got the same thing in Canada. It's like culture, ethnicity, skin color, all of that stuff. You know where that comes from, that competition? And there's a good sense of it for sure. It has its place, but it is the spirit of Babylon. That's what that is. Because even the way ethnicity and culture started kind of wearing their own culture as, as a badge and trumping the cross, in other words, blaming our behavior on our culture rather than on our carnality as born-again Christians, we could hide behind our culture. For instance, um, anybody from Ireland here? Ireland? No? Ireland? Ireland, Ireland is called the land of ire. Where angry people come from. <laughs> Did you know that? It's, it's, it's kind of like a stereotype. And so, you know, somebody loses their temper. Oh, I'm Irish. That's the way it happens. You didn't know. Hey, whatever. I'm Italian. I'm going to go out and whack somebody. Well, I'm Italian. That's what I do. To the very nth degree, of course. You know, Scottish people. Let's get real controversial. What about that Trump? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> we in Canada are so entertained by what's happening down here. You have no idea, man. I'm like eating popcorn, tuning in. I go, I go between Fox and CNN. It's absolutely incredible. Anyway, anyway, I digress. What, ha what happened, even, even in ancient times is that a culture would try to find an image that represented its traits and values. And so, let's say for the United States, an animal. What's an animal that represents the United States? The eagle. What represents Canada? Any guess? Huh? you say cardinal? Get out. It's a loon or a moose or a beaver, whatever. What about, what about England? What would represent England? A lion. A lion. Right? What would represent Russia? A bear. Yeah, a bear. Absolutely. So what happens is that, is that a country or an ethnic group 
takes an animal to represent its personal traits and values, what it adores, what it likes. And they take those traits and values and they usually image them or they create art with them. And the first thing that usually create is a totem. A totem is like a logo, Nike, Adidas, so on and so on, whatever. And what happens if you take an animal to represent your traits and values and put it on a totem, what does that culture ultimately end up doing? Worshiping itself. We see that happening all over the world. And so there's this conflicting identity in the world today. And that's the spirit of Babylon. Anyway, we'll go through these a little bit quicker. Our sexuality, man, woman, pronoun person, whatever you want. Uh, there's body image, of course, right? I mean, I understand if you look good, you feel good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's room for that. Absolutely. But come on. A lot of us are obsessed with how we look or how we don't look. And it's, for the most of us, it can be our identity. Human potential, skill, talent. Somebody's got it in spades. They're very, very smart, intelligent. They could do something really, really well. They're great musicians. They're great artists. They're great engineers. They invented the H-bomb. They invented dynamite. Whatever it is. And they are lifted up, and that can become people's identity. These kinds of things. Lineage, position, social standing, your posterity, where you came from, who your parents are, how much money you have, your financial viability, your personality. Oh, I wish I was like that person. They're just so bubbly and whatever. And oh, and I'm just so quiet. And I'm just so... My wife is the exact opposite of me. If my wife was sitting where you're sitting, she wouldn't be laughing. She'd be shaking her head and rolling her eyes. There he goes again. Positive or negative circumstance. A lot of us live in circumstantial theology. That's how we live. We live day to day based on what happens to us. And what we do is we dumb down God to fit our reaction to a circumstance. So if I'm going to the mall at Christmas and there's a parking spot open, it's like, oh, praise the Lord, I did good today. Here's a spot. If I stub my toe as I'm getting up, it's like, oh, my God, what did I do? The devil is after me now. But then you, you go to work and you're in the parking lot and you see a $20 bill and you pick it up. Oh, actually, this is awesome. God's good with me again. And we go back and forth and we see God and we see our lives with God as transactional when the work of the cross was not transactional. There's nothing you could have offered. Oh, I'm right. <laughs> I'm going to give you a lot here. Forgive me. This is, uh, this is four half days at the School of Ministry in Toronto in uh, an hour. All right. So I want to keep an eye on my time, and I want to honor that, too. It's 1040. We end at, what, 4 o'clock? I'm good. <clears throat> All the speaker guys and girls do that kind of stuff. So if you recall Benjamin, do you remember, the, do you remember Benjamin in the B-I-B-L-E? Yeah? Remember Benjamin? Benjamin was born, and he was inappropriately named by his dying mother. Do you remember what Benjamin's mother's name was? 
Rachel. Remember that? Rachel lived a very difficult life. She lived a life of conflict. There was a lot there. She was a hurting person for sure. She named her son Benoni. No, it's not Italian. Does anybody remember what Benoni means? Yeah. Son of my pain. That comes later, though. Okay? Rachel had such a hard life that as she was giving birth, she mixed up the birthing process. Women who've had babies, God bless you. My wife's had four. I told her, honey, if I could do it for you, I wouldn't. Like placenta everywhere. I'm like. Mm. <clears throat> Back then, it's all like now. Like now, they just come. <clears throat> she named him Benoni, son of my sorrow. Everything that she had gone through came to this point at birth. And she named him. She labeled him. Just like you've been labeled as a little kid. Not smart enough. Not good enough. Stupid. Shy. Dumb. Bully. Whatever it was you felt growing up. There is a label. As a matter of fact, I want you to think of that label right now. I want you to take about 30 seconds. Close your eyes, if you will. Indulge me. Okay? What was that label you grew up with? And if you're brave enough, I'd like you to, to tell me. Anybody? What was the label you grew up with? Weirdo. Yeah. Eh? A ditz? Anybody else? Trailer trash. You felt that later, didn't you? Yeah. Anybody else? Not worth hearing? You want to say something? <laughs> no, you. I see your hand up in the hat. Yeah. Anything? Stupid. There are many. Yeah. Anybody else? Come now. Get awkward. Annoying. Anybody else? Hey, not good enough. Not good enough. What else? Hey, bossy. Anybody else? See, you listen. You listen to these. You know, you listen. It's it's just like it's just so the opposite. It's just so the opposite of what God meant. It's just so the it's so it's so frustrating to hear it because it's not who you are. Anybody else? Do you dare? Liar. Yeah. Worthless. Worthless. Liar. Liar. Anybody else? Whoa. Loved. Loved. That's a good one. Yeah. But we're not talking about a good one. <laughs> we're talking about a different, a bad one. Okay. 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 Anybody else? Huh? Fat. Mine was troublemaker. I had three siblings who were in high school above me, and they were, they were school terrorists. OK? 
Okay? So when the teacher heard my name, Durazio, they thought, okay, here's a troublemaker. And you know what I did? I played right into that. I took a flamethrower to that school. A flamethrower. It's a metaphor. (laughs) Have I not been with you so long? (laughs) Labels, right? Labels. It's an activation we do. Anyway, it's an activation we do. His father came in, gave a a prophetic utterance, and said, wait a minute. He's not going to be called Benoni. He's going to be called Benjamin, and Benjamin is the son of my strength or the son of my right hand. He renamed him. And I, I got renamed too. The Lord gave me a new label. My label now is history maker. It's on my license plate. Church gave it to me. H-S-T-R-Y-M-K-R. So if you were to relabel yourself, think about what that might be in a few minutes. Okay? It is a tragedy for sons and daughters to misalign themselves to someone who could not speak into their destiny. And there's a ton of Christians out there who have grown up this way in a Rachel-like system that named us on the basis of its own calamity. I suffered, so you're going to suffer. And you know what it does to us as we grow up? We begin to believe it, And so we begin to accommodate it, we begin to leak it, and then we begin to pass it on. You guys getting some of this? All right. Well, we've got a way to go here. Now, I learned this somewhere where I had to kind of be reminded about this, okay? About my identity, I was in this uh, supermarket called Longo's. Do you guys know Longo's in Canada? It's my favorite store in the world, actually. Okay, Longo's. It's an Italian supermarket. It's small enough. You go in, out. It's fantastico. So I went in there because we were, we were teaching our church, you know, you go into a place. You're going for an encounter with God. I remember um, Bill Johnson talking about, you know, watching where the, the dove lands, the Holy Spirit. He got it from, um, what's his name in Africa? I forget back in the 40s, but anyway, an evangelist there. So when you're in a public place, look for the dove. Look where the Holy Spirit's going to land and have an encounter with God for somebody else. So we were teaching our church this. So, you know, you go into Home Depot to buy a box of nails, looking for the Lord somewhere, an opportunity. You have an encounter, and on your way out, you happen to buy a box of nails, but you're not actually going there. It actually makes life very exciting. You have to get awkward, though. We're going to talk about awkward a little bit as well. So there I am in Longos, and I'm going for my Romano cheese, my grated Romano cheese, because everybody knows that Romano cheese is the cheese to put on pasta. I'm giving you, I'm giving you, hey, this is, these are pearls right here, okay? I'm throwing them right at you, okay? Because what happens is that, is that the Romano cheese, it melts on the pasta, Whereas with Parmesan, it's, it's like fingernail clippings. It just, it just rolls off. It rolls off the pasta, spaghetti. It's terrible, terrible. You have to have Romano. So there I am with my Romano cheese. And I'm standing in the line. And I'm about to go. And there's two people in front of me. And one is a Muslim woman. How did I know she was Muslim? Yeah. She had a burqa from 
They had the stern, okay, covered, and there was a little girl there as well. And you see it all the time um, in Canada for sure, in Toronto for sure, in the suburbs for sure, which is fine. Um, I didn't cast a judgment or anything weird like that. I wasn't scared or anything. But the lady behind the counter, she looked like she'd been there for 96 years. She did not want to be there, okay? You could just tell her. Everything about her was just south. It's just everything. Just, just, just everything about her, okay? And so this poor lady didn't have enough money to pay for her groceries, and it wasn't much. And so this lady behind the counter, she's getting a little annoyed, and so I kind of pipe up, and by now, it's a one-to-eight item express lane. There's more than seven or eight people there now. So there I am in line, and I, you know, I, said, I, said, I said you know, to the lady, I said, let me... I'll pay for this because the lady was taking out bananas, potatoes, whatever it was, and she still couldn't pay for it. And it didn't look like because she wasn't a woman of means. She just maybe didn't have her whatever. I don't know. She didn't have her with it. So I said to her, let me just do this. You know, it's happened to me before. It's okay, which it never happened to me before. I lied right there, but I wanted to make her feel good. So <laughs> anyway, I said, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> so this lady lights up like a Christmas tree. And then all of a sudden, the, the woman the, that I was paying the groceries for, good question, lights up, and she goes as loud as she could. <laughs> My heart starts beating. <laughs> What's happening here? And then the little girl, and everybody in long goes, Right, right over, because it's a smaller grocery store. And I'm thinking, hmm, where's the doves? I need some doves. Where's the Holy Spirit? This Muslim woman turns to me and she says, you, a Christian. And I'm going, yeah. You know, like I forgot. You know? I was like, yeah, I am. How did you know? And she goes, she goes, you know Jesus. I said to her, yes. I almost said to her, tell me about him. <laughs> and then she says, come with me, come with me, come with me. She takes me out to the parking lot. Her, her car, which is a brand new white Cadillac, is packed with Persian rugs. She owns a string of Persian rug companies across Canada. She could have paid for those groceries somehow. She says to me, come, come, you take one, you take one. Take two, take two. And I'm going, oh, no, you know, I'm thinking I got to take it home. I got to move furniture. Put this thing. My wife's going to go, I don't like it. Move it. I said, it's okay. No, it's okay, it's okay. She drove off. And here's what I realized. Here's what I realized. It took God to take a Muslim woman to remind me who I was. See, because, because the revelation to her was not an act of niceness. It was an act of kindness. And kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. And when a born-again Christian shows kindness, there is an authority behind that. And you, you can, you, and you know, it sounds supernatural, but it's not. Listen, 
Whatever God touches comes into its own identity or is at least introduced to its own identity. That woman was being touched, not because I told her about Jesus, because she saw what Jesus could look like. That's authority. And if you don't have it, you can't give it. If you don't believe it, if you don't believe your identity is in Christ and you're not trailer trash, you want to take that trailer trash label, you want to drag it with you for the rest of your life and everywhere you go? No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Okay, that was all introduction. Let's get to the good stuff. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Oh, this is good. Okay? Colossians 2. You guys Okay? Stay, stay with me, okay? Colossians 2. We're going to put our big person pants on now. Here's what we're going to look at briefly. We're going to look at our fullness in Christ, our righteousness in Christ, our newness in Christ, and our risenness in Christ. Risenness, I don't think, is a word, but I made it up. Okay, Colossians chapter Chapter 2, okay? Everybody say full. Okay, how many of you know we're all full of something? Right? To your neighbor, say you're full of it. It's the only time in church you can do that, okay? I'm full, you're full. What does full mean? Satisfied. Capacity. At the brim. I'm going to show you in just a sec, Okay? Look at this. Look at this. Verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, anybody receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Continue or practice to live what? In him. Paul uses that term a lot too in the Bible. In Christ, in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. He was talking about Gnosticism in the book of Colossians and Philippians and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now here it goes again. For, what are the next two words? For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Everybody say deity. All the fullness all right? Now, this word fullness is an incredible word. It's interchangeable with the word full and fill. Fullness is not about what or how much you possess in a gifting or resources. Fullness is not about quantity. I'm going to show you that in just a sec. That's very important, okay? Fullness is about quality. The reason something is full, not because it has capacity, but because it's functioning in capacity. When Jesus turned the water into wine, the jugs were full of what? Water. The jugs had not come into their fullness until they were holding wine. Because they were meant to hold wine, not water. 
in Christ's vernacular. Anybody like wine here? Oh, yeah. Anybody think it's naughty? I'm going to get into this in just a sec. Now, look up here. Look up here. This is a game changer. Here's the thing. Most people wake up in the morning trying and wondering how not to sin. I want to show you how to wake up in the morning to steward your new nature. Because if all you're doing is managing your sin, if all you're doing is managing your naughtiness, if you get up in the morning and say, oh my goodness, how, how can I not yell at the kids today? How can I not yell at my spouse today? How can I not kill my boss today? How can I not get angry today? Guess what's going to happen? All of it. That's called... What's that called? Any idea? Yeah, self-fulfilling. Yeah. You're, you're, it's anticipatory behavior. Okay? But if you get up in the morning and start, instead of saying, I'm going to not get angry, I've got to manage my anger today, that is a terrible way to approach life. What you say is, I have to manage my patience today because my patience is part of my new nature. Anger is not. The new nature is gone. The old man is dead. Yes? The old man is dead. The old man is dead. The wicked witch is dead. So you can't blame your stuff on your old nature. That's called just carnality. And, and we don't have to be carnal. We had to sin. We were prisoners of it. We're going to see that in just a moment. But we don't have to do it. So why steward your sin when you can actually steward your new nature in Christ? It is a game changer. Those of you who are not morning people can actually be morning people. Yeah. Yes. Yes. See, that can even be a label. In other words, it's like this. It's like this. I get to treat you like crap until I have my coffee. <laughs> you know, I get to just not have to listen to you. I got my own little spot here, my own little bubble, my own little cone of silence. As I sit by cafe. Okay? We've seen marriages in our church transform because somebody who's not a morning person has become a morning. Here, listen. Are you writing? Who's writing? Are you writing some stuff down? Write this down. Okay, listen. This, is, this will blow your mind. You want to hear the biggest secret in Christendom? The biggest secret? The biggest secret. I am here to tell you. Christians can be happy. I know. Right? Yeah. Why? Do you know why? Because we can wake up with perfect sanity. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. Say, Rick, that's idealistic. I'd carry this and this memory and that memory and that. Well, how's it going? It's that whole, you know, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? You know? We can have perfect sanity. If you don't want to be lost, the first step is to say, I don't want to be lost. If you want to be fixed, the first step is to say, I'm willing to be fixed. 
Well, what's the way forward? The way forward is the way forward. We're doing it today. I'm going to show you some stuff here. And not, it's not going to change because I'm here. It's going to change because he's here. Because the word's here. I've heard, you know, God bless millennials. I love them. And I, I'm not down on millennials. I've act, we got great, we got, I'm at, I think they're one of the greatest generation, actually. What I'm, what I'm hearing, though, one of the things I'm hearing is I have a hard time reading the Bible. But the proper use for abuse is not disuse, but proper use. So let's talk about how you cannot have a hard time reading the Bible. Instead of just saying, I have a hard time reading the Bible, I'm going to avoid it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, is I'll, I'll listen to podcasts, I'll listen to this guy, I'll listen to them, I'll listen to this guy, whatever, her, him, whatever, I'll listen to this worshiper. And they avoid the word of God. It's, it's the B-I-B-L-E, guys. It is the washing of the water of the word of God. There's no shortcuts. And that's not, that's not a legalistic thing. It's not. Please hear my heart. I, I, I'm not a legalistic person, man. I could smell that stuff a million miles away. Okay, back to the Bible. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Okay? The word deity is ever only found in the Bible one time. Guess where? Right here. Right here in this verse. The word deity, listen to this now. The word deity means the essential nature or condition of being God. That's what the word deity means, divinity. So this verse states that in Jesus dwells all the fullness, the capacity of God. Although he has no capacity, he chooses to use language like fullness to describe the authenticity of his character. When revealed, is full. Not again in quantity, but in quality. For God so loved the world, we think that that world, that word world is geographical. It's not. The word world there is the condition of the world. God so loved the world in its worldliness that he gave his only begotten son. Gives it a little more meaning there, doesn't it? It's not that God loved all these people that he gave his son. He, didn't, he wouldn't have had to do it if it was just a few people. By the way, there are more people living now than have ever, than have ever died. So we, we got a job to do, if you will. But it's not quantity. It's quality. It's the quality of his love. That's what does it. It's always a question of love. It's always a question of authentic, unconditional love. That's what it is. And the deity of God is his essential nature. It is divine and supernatural. So this verse states that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of God, all the fullness of the condition of being God. And look at the next part of that verse. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Christ has been given fullness from God. We have been given fullness from Christ. It's a beautiful thing. There is deity inside of you. We carry the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Would it be amazing if the Jesus in me saw the Jesus in you? Wouldn't that be amazing? 
Would that be amazing? If we encountered people that way, can you imagine the compassion that would flow? Can you imagine the patience that would flow? Can you imagine just for a moment if we incarnated the kingdom, if we incarnated heaven and the culture of heaven through us? We've heard that so many times. What does that really look like? Let's go find out. Let's go find out. You have been imparted with Christ's divinity. His godliness is our godliness. We are not divine in and of ourselves. We have been imparted with that divinity. I tell you, that puts the fear of God in me. It's one of the reasons I try to avoid sin. The stakes are too high. I got painted into a corner here. How can I avoid this? Now, one of the Greek words for fullness is the verb pleru. Everybody say pleru. P-L-E-R-O-O. It means this. It means to render complete. Fullness means to render complete. To, to, to have no deficiency in. You have been given fullness in Christ. In other words, as Paul says, you are complete in Christ. Your wife will never complete you. This guy... Is he your husband? Okay. <laughs> you're barking up the wrong completion tree here. If, you, if you're single and you think getting married is going to complete you, I'm sorry. That's a Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger movie. Okay? You complete me. And all the women go, ah. Oh. I wish I was her. I wish I was Renee. Guys, girls, don't get too desperate. <laughs> Man, some of us would marry those pole, that pole outside if it talked to us. Don't do it. The Bible says that you are complete in Christ. You have fullness in Christ. This is not some idealistic thing that, that somebody comes up and talks about. This is that's the word of God. And it's very, very important. I remember being on, uh, in Toronto and I was preaching on the streets, Toronto and Young Street. Anybody been, anybody Dundas and Young in Toronto? You ever been there? Another crazy town. It is crazy. There's people preaching. There's, there's the Baptists. They got ties on. They're doing illustrations and painting. There's the, 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 the nut bar over here. He's got a cross with a roller skate on the end of it, dragging it across the city. Uh... You know, looking like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't even know what. It's crazy. You got the Buddhist guy over here. You got the Krishnas over here, whatever. I thought, eh, I'm going to go try, see what happens. Maybe somebody will throw me a buck or two, maybe. I don't know. So I start preaching, 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 preaching the gospel, preaching. My, my cousin comes along. I turn around. <laughs> she just comes up. She says, Rick, what are you doing? I said, I'm preaching the gospel. What? And walks away. <laughs> it's not an encouraging moment. So I start preaching, 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 preaching again. And this big, tall guy comes up to me, kind of like you. Come on up here, Kurt. You're the Taekwondo guy, huh? Hmm. I can take you. Okay. (laughs) So I'm preaching, preaching. A guy like, I'm going to get in your space now. Is that all right? Okay. So this guy comes up to me, 
face to face like that. He's actually about as big as you, okay? And he starts cursing my mother. I'm not going to do that. No, no. He starts cursing me, everything. He starts cursing Jesus just like this. And, I'm, and I haven't moved. My heart's beating, though. I'm, I'm a little afraid. I got butterflies, okay? And this guy's do he's, and I could feel the spit building up on my face. Oh, it was just terrible. But I thought, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And then in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm take my left knee, and I'm, I'm going to do the old heave ho hey. Up the hoo hoo ha. Okay? This guy starts screaming and yelling. Do I need a tic tac? Am I all right? There you go. Okay. And then all of a sudden, I, I, the Holy Spirit comes, and I, and, and I just do this. And he's still yelling and screaming. He's yelling, just like he's yelling and screaming, screaming, screaming. And then all of a sudden, I, I just hear this guy. I hear this guy going. <laughs> and he starts bawling. Let's not get carried away here. Sit down. <laughs> he, starts, he starts bawling his eyes out. Okay? He turns around. Let's give him a hand, by the way. He turns around, and he leaves. <coughs> See you later. Do you think he just felt a human hug? Was it, was it maybe a little something more than that? Was it maybe he felt the nature of Christ? Was it maybe just more than an act? Was it something maybe Supernatural? that completely disarmed the principalities and the powers instead of dr- addressing them, you know, in, in a different way. Is that, is that possible? See, we're being trained to reign. We're being trained. We're stewarding our born-againness. You understand? You got to steward your new nature. You got to steward your born-againness every single day, aware of it. I don't mean you walk into a mall and you go... I'm a supernatural being. I've got a, like a Holy Ghost cape on here. No. We walk in discernment. We don't get, you know, weird. Like there's good weird and bad weird. Like, like you know, some prophetic people, not all of them. I'm talking, they want to give me a word. They're not blinking at me. That's my first sign. I got a prophetic person isn't blinking at me. I'm most likely going to walk away. Okay? Oh, hi, Rick. How you doing? Honestly, I, would, I will say to that person, hey, will you just stop? Just talk to me. Have, have a conversation. You got a word for me? I'm open, man. But don't get all weird spookernatural on me. Okay? Blink, for God's sakes. I hope that's not you, actually. <laughs> you guys know what I mean. You know, I know I'm making fun, but, you know, I'm taking it to the extreme, okay? Let's, let's just let's have a conversation, you know? I don't care about the container that much. We don't have to... Anyway, it's a whole other message. Okay? All right. Next. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're getting there. Uh, We break at 11.30, yes? Okay. You guys okay to hear more? All right. Yawn. It's okay if you yawn. You want to stretch. I don't mind at all. It's not what I'm talking. 
All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hang a left. You got to look at this. You got to look at this, okay? 2 Corinthians 5. You ready? All right. <clears throat> yep, we're going to get there. Okay, filters, filters. Think about filters. Tell me about filters. Tell me some examples of filters. Coffee filters. Furnace filter. Instagram filters. What else? Huh? Sure, breathing filters. Air filter. Oil filter. Water filter. Anything else? Photographers, life filter, sure, filters. What do filters do? Hey, what do they do? They filter out things. Sometimes they keep good things in, filter out the bad things. Sometimes they filter out the good thing and keep, keep the bad things. It's, it goes back and forth, filters, filters. We use filters every single day of our lives, probably 50 or 60 times, Okay. Filters help us to determine what we value most of the time, okay? Most of the time. You will see um, how you are disagreed with through a filter. That's why it's important when you're on a team like this or on a sub-team of a team, you say to each other, hey, listen, what's the best way for me to disagree with you? It's called a rule of engagement, Okay? And I'm going to tell you how to disagree with me, how I could take it the, you know, the best. Because we're all, we're all different in that, kind of a, in that kind of a way. It's very important. My wife and I, we have rules of engagement. For instance, I can't leave anymore. Uh, unless I say, hey, listen, can we, can we just take a few minutes or circle back today? That's the second rule of engagement is to circle back. Let's not talk about this right now. It's getting a little too hot, confused, or um, I'm tired or whatever. But can we circle back tomorrow after work during dinner? Yes. You know what that does to diffuse stuff? It's incredible. You want to know another uh, uh, rule of engagement? Yeah? Okay. I can't tell her she's like her mother. That was the first two years. That did not go good. Okay. Or you're like your father, or that's what your mother would do, or that's what your father... No, we don't do that anymore, okay? So there's a whole lot of them there. But they're filters, and so we view things through our filter. And our filters are learned for the most part. But the biggest filter, the best filter, the greatest filter is this filter, right? It's the filter of truth, not the filter of emotion, not the filter of human logic, not the filter of circumstantial evidence, Stuff that's going on around us. It's the filter of truth that's very, very, very important. So, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians here just for a sec. The scripture is packed with evaluations of you and I. And one of them is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look, verse 16. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What's he saying there? What's Paul saying there? Idea? We regard no one from a worldly point of view anymore. Sure. 
We're not, we're, we're, I'm going to look at you with different eyes. I'm looking at you with different eyes. And he begins to explain why. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, like not natural eyes. We do so no longer. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he uses the word in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Everybody say new. 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 It does not say recycled. It does not say you're a copy. It does not say that you're a better version of yourself, which is like so frustrating to me when I hear that. Especially people, I just want to be a better version of myself. Well, that's not going to work. Trust me. You are a new creature in Christ. New. Brand new. Let Let me give it to you this way. Here's how new you are. There's two words for new. New as in time, and new as in never seen before. Right? You guys get that? Okay, so, um, I'm getting a new, anybody got a dream car? Dream car, anybody? Huh? Tesla, you like the Tesla? Okay, I'm getting a new Tesla because the old Tesla is, the two-year lease on that is up. Though I got a feeling you would never lease a car. I don't know why. You'd buy that car outright, somehow. Okay, so, all right, that's one thing, okay? The other new, never been seen before, is here's the keys to the USS Enterprise. Go ahead and fly through space now. That's how new new is. That's how new that you are. And that's the word that Paul is using here when he's talking about new. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody understand what that means, the ministry of reconciliation? What does it mean? We're bridge builders to heaven. We're bridge builders to the authenticity and the evidence of Christ. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Hmm, boy, how much do we do that? Hmm. Everybody go, hmm, hmm. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Amen. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now here it is, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What? What? He made him to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is crazy. The word righteousness here is a Greek word, and it means Perfect balance and straightness. Alignment. That's what it means. It means completeness. That's what it means. See? I call it identificational righteousness. That's our identity. Here's the thing. Here's what I want to say. Righteousness is not your behavior. Righteousness is your identity. You cannot lose your righteousness because you do bad stuff as a born-again Christian. Think about it, because it's not transactional. 
You do this, you lose that. Do this, you lose that. You'll be more ineffective. You may miss God, but you will not lose your righteousness. I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you why. It's very important, okay? Identificational righteousness, straightness. I have a lot of gay friends, and I have used this in the discussions that we have, and I actually give them that word, because it's a word that they can relate to. They don't like the word straight to be used in that context, but I will say to them, biblically, biblically, if you accept Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ, and that is not your gender, that has nothing to do with your sexuality, your tendencies, your likes, your dislikes. It has everything to do with your condition, with your nature. That's what it has to do with. And the word actually means straight, compliant, complete. That's what it means. It's likened unto one of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. It is finished. Finito. It's done with. It's very, very important. Now, I'm going to get a little controversial, but not for controversial sake. I want you to wrestle with something, okay? First of all, the Bible tells us that we don't wrestle with our sin. We wrestle against our sin. You understand the difference? You understand the difference? It's like this. It's like, don't wrestle with a pig. Like, don't get into a fight with a pig because... You'll both get dirty, but the pig will like it. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing with our sin. We're always fighting against our sin, fighting against our sin, instead of agreeing with our new nature and stewarding our new nature. Stewarding our righteousness in Christ, not our unrighteous behavior. I'm going to give you a couple of examples in just a sec. So we're talking here about, really, the radical righteousness of God. And it's not a behavior, it is your identity. Your righteousness in Christ cannot be undone by your failures and mistakes. Why? Because your successes and your good behavior did not earn you his righteousness. He gave it to you. He didn't just take you. And he didn't just take you out of sin. He took sin out of you. That's our nature. That's why I don't have to be jealous anymore. That's why I don't have to get angry anymore. And it's about self-awareness of his nature, of his identity. It will make you better people. It will make you better husbands, wives, and it will definitely make you better leaders. There is no doubt about it. Man, the leadership curve, and there is billions of dollars being generated about being a great leader. You want to be a great leader? Steward the righteousness of of Christ. Stewards your new nature in Christ. People will follow you off the map. Oh, that's a good word. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. (sighs) You're on your way to work, okay? W-O-R-K. Haven't done that in a while, have you? Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Work. So, you're on your way to work. You're in the car. Somebody cuts you off, okay? You flip them the bird. You're a born-again Christian now, okay? You had a, an off. Yeah, one hand. Well, one hand's on the wheel. Yeah. You have two hands if it's in your heart. <clears throat> okay? 
So you cut the guy, you cut the guy, and you flip him the bird, okay? And then you go into the office or the factory or wherever it is, and, uh, you know, you're going, oh, Lord, I, you know, I'm sorry, I flipped that guy the bird. What the heck's going to happen now? And, and John comes up to you, and he's got a migraine headache. And he says, hey, um, what's your name back there? The glasses, sorry? Anthony. He says, hey, Anthony, you know, you've been telling me about Jesus and how Jesus heals, and I got this raging headache. Could you pray for me right now? And you're thinking, oh, I just flipped that guy the bird. If I start praying for this guy, God's going to turn me into a turtle. <laughs> so what do you do? You go to the bathroom. You go to the throne. And you're in there, and you go, oh, Father, forgive me. I can't pray for this guy. I've got to repent right now so that the anointing can flow. Trust me, leaders know about that. We've had, my, my, my wife and I have had arguments on the way to church. And then I got to preach. And like, we're, you know, on our way in, we're going, I forgive you, I forgive you too, okay. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> it's like, so the anointing will keep flowing, you know. Like, so stupid. <laughs> this is like, this is when we were a little younger, okay. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. <laughs> uh, so, here's the thing. Your sin cannot undo his righteousness. You can actually pray for that guy. I'm not saying it's going to work. It could work. It could work. But if it works, I'm guessing it's more because of his faith than yours. Right? You got these people who, uh, you know, they gather thousands of people and you hear they're seeing somebody in the back. They got a little something, something on the side with a girl or whatever, whatever. And you're wondering how on earth for... For months and months and months, these revival meetings, people are getting saved and whatever. Because God's not responding to his faith. He's responding to the people's faith. That's why leadership is overrated. See, in that video, it was the second guy. In the video, it, it was the movement that created the buzz. He started the buzz, but the buzz was generated by the movement. And then the movement had to be led. That's good. That's proper. Absolutely no doubt about that. Okay, so is this a way to excuse your sin? Absolutely. No, no doubt about it. We're going to talk about that in just a sec as well because some of you might be asking that question. <clears throat> okay. Uh, the word here, this righteousness word, Go to Romans. Go to Romans. I was going to talk about imputed righteousness. But let's go to Romans. Hang a left. Romans chapter 5. Verse 17. Romans 5.17. You ready? Romans 5.17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man. Who was that man? That was Adam. 
How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's what's happening. We are reigning in life. Go to chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, that's the old man, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you read the rest of Romans 6, not once does Paul mention water. Not once. Why? He's talking about a baptism of life. Where we have passed from the old to the new. This is how we then live. This increases the responsibility level on our part. Not in a legalistic way or performance-oriented way. Not at all. But what it does mean is this. We've got to start getting awkward. This is how you implement this. You start getting awkward. What's awkward? Well, I don't know what your threshold for awkward is, but for me, it was going into stores and doing that kind of a thing. And in other words, doing something that you would not normally do yourself. You're, you're inspired to do it. You have what's called a butterfly moment. When's the last time you had a butterfly moment for the Holy Spirit? Or you just kind of, you know, things like this. You say, oh, yeah, I read that. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was in a note I wrote down. What's your threshold for being awkward? Because the moment you begin to get awkward, you become available for the Holy Spirit to tap into you something you've not yet discovered for yourself, but he already knows about you and wants to reveal it to you so that you could do the works of God and be like Jesus. And the way you become like Jesus to other people is not by doing stuff. It's by being it's by being, by stewarding your new nature. And, and, and which means what? You've got to practice this. It's practice. It's everyday practice. One or two little things every day. You begin to practice your nature in Christ. You, be, you wake up in the morning, okay? And, and I read this incredible uh, cover of a book called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And, and, and every morning now, when I get up, I say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. And, 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 it takes me like from here to here, just like that. Just here to here. It's not like some big, I jump out of bed, you know. Some of you guys, you press the snooze button, whatever. I think the snooze button is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, first of all, the alarm goes off. You're already disappointed once. <laughs> Ten minutes later, the snooze button goes, you're disappointed twice. Your feet haven't even hit the ground yet. What a terrible way to start the day. Terrible. Practice. And thirdly, you got to remember this stuff. You got to remember. You got. Hey, I heard that yawn. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You got to remember this stuff. Don't just put your notes away. You remember it. You got to. You got to get it into you. Like, like. It's good to sing great songs. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love reading songs because they're incredible recall for me. But, but. It's like, that's when Christians lie the most, is when we're singing. <laughs> I surrender, 90%. <laughs> finally. Finally. I, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I just don't. I don't have all the answers.
and uh, I don't need to have all the answers anymore, but I'll tell you this much. I've seen lives transformed. I've seen leaders rise up. I've seen influencers come into their own, not because they were doing their passion. You'll never fill that cup. You'll never fill that cup. You won't. If you think design, art, take any of the seven mountains. For our church, there's two mountains that we, we hone in on. That's the art entertainment mountain and the business mountain. We just got a guy on, on our, uh, our sound guy, one of our sound guys. His team at work won an Emmy for one of the shows they helped produce. These are, these are great people. But man, the more we lean into that for, val- for, for uh, validation, the further away we'll get from Holy Spirit. Like, like the real thing here. It's our new nature in Christ. Steward that. You, you know, don't steward what's not happening. <laughs> steward what's happening. Steward what's real, what's true, what's authentic, what, what actually can happen. And you're going to see what's going to happen in your marriage. You'll begin to see what's going to happen at your workplace. It's like being born again, again, almost. It's just the weirdest thing. We take this stuff. So if your validation comes from anything else other than your new nature in Christ, that's bonus. But don't let it become the thing that defines you. And there are other people that will want to define you with your skill and your talent and your smarts and how you look and how you don't look and how smart you're not. And there, everybody wants to put a label because it's just the easiest way for us to, to identify somebody. It's called, Paul talks it an, e- an evil surmising. That word surmising, the Greek word is catalogos. We get our word catalog from. And if you have a, a negative encounter with someone, you catalog it in your head. When you see them again, you pull that file out and you treat them after the first time you met them. So there's no reset. That's what Paul was saying. We don't treat people like that anymore after the flesh. you know. So as a cohesive team, your trajectory is this way. It's not just this way or down. Your trajectory begins to build because you have this revelation of new nature. So I want you just for a moment to think of your new label. What's a new label you could put on yourself? Let's take a minute. Let's bow our heads. Then we'll, we'll close this session up. What's a new label you could be the opposite of the old label. What that might what, what, what could that look like? And when you're ready, I'd like you to stand up and confess that label. Because when you confess it, you're agreeing with what God is saying. And it's a beautiful thing. So get awkward and go ahead, stand up and Tell us what your new label might be. I'm good with awkward silence, too. Yeah, come on. Uniquely powerful. Confident. 
wise. Valuable. Mm, valuable. Fun. Love that. Sufficient. More than enough. Joy and faith. Beloved. Delighted in. Compassionate. Worthy. Missing anybody? World changer. Son of the king. Enough. Priceless. Gracious. Mentor. Born again. Oh. I love that about my life, that I'm born again. It's the best thing I love about my life, as well as being Italian. Yeah. Chrissy. Worthy. Anybody else? Am I missing anyone? If you don't have a label, that's okay. God will give you one on your pillow tonight. That's okay, too. But if you do and you're holding it in, don't hold it in too long. It's going to hurt. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this time together. We pray that you continue to father us. In Jesus' name, amen.